Okay, we're going to begin this next story. It's called A Tax Inquisition at Boston. It's from the period of It's a Rum Life, Book 3, Ivy House, 1970-1984. You can't find it in the book because I've just written this one. This episode happened around 1975 or the spring of 1976. We'd just been to France to visit Ruth's pen friend's family at Rennes in Brittany and also meet the local Uniroyal salesman. We had a long lunch with the Uniroyal stocking point owner from Rennes and his family. Before we leave this part of the story, I must mention that it was a typical French working lunch that began at about midday and finished just before 5pm. Lots of talking and drinking and eating, lots of small courses. Very, very memorable and most enjoyable. Knowledge of French, of course, essential, as all the talking was in French. Ruth's long-time pen friend Armel was also invited, just in case we had any language problems. Armel, as you will know from It's a Room Life Book 2, teaches English in French schools and has been Ruth's pen friend since the late 1950s. We were shortly to begin our new business, as the Uniroyal Tyre Stocking Point and Distribution Centre for Lincolnshire, North Norfolk and North Cambridgeshire. This is back in the UK, all based in our premises at Ivy House, New Bolingbroke, Lincolnshire. I suppose it's a few weeks after this holiday that our accountant in Boston told us I had been served notice from the local inspector of taxes that he required me to appear at an official hearing into my income tax records. This was to take place at the Boston tax office and the accountant was most unhelpful as he said he had never had to deal with a situation like this previously. The accountant was a nice enough chap. We had inherited him from after his firm had taken over the business of Frank Cox, the father of one of my best friends from the first Boston Sea Scouts. Frank had been an old established accountant in Boston and had been handling our affairs since we started our small haulage concern on my leaving Firestone. Frank had recently retired. Now you have a general picture. There is something more to add. Why should the very senior local inspector of taxes be interested in the small affairs of Ruth and myself? I just had to turn up on the due date and see what was to do. The accountant came with me. After all, it was he who had prepared my annual accounts for the taxman in the first place. I gather from friends here and there that the demand for a personal hearing before the local inspector of taxes is quite unusual. I expected a grilling of some sort or other. After all, this chap was quite important. The day arrived and I made arrangements to have necessary time off to appear at this hearing. I made sure I was not wearing a business suit. I had five of these that I had used to alternate week on week during my time with Firestone. Naturally, during the years when I was representing one of the world's largest companies, it was expected that one would at least be smartly dressed. 
As a matter of fact, when I started with Firestone, I was virtually penniless. Ruth and I were living uh, in our flat, our first home, uh, the bottom flat at number 10 Woodville Road in Boston, and living above us was the local manager of Burton's The Tailors and his wife. He'd fixed up an account for me where I could order five new suits over six months and pay for them over a year or so on monthly payments. These were those suits. I should mention also that by this time in my career, the early 1970s, I was quite good at public speaking. For the inspector of taxes, I dressed in an elderly sports jacket that I'd used while working for the Boston Standard. It was about 12 years old. The trousers were of a similar age, shirt and tie from the same era. I guessed he would be using psychological psychological thinking in his examination, so my thoughts were to create the impression of a crumbly country gent, just a bit down at heel, but not too much. The building in Boston's Norfolk Street was quite imposing, if not a little intimidating. It is now Boston's county court building. Say no more. The accountant stared at me when we met in the foyer before the meeting. We said nothing to each other. I am sure I remember correctly that during the entire event, my accountant did not once open his mouth. I think perhaps he was dumbfounded. The inspector began pleasantly enough. He explained that he had all my regular tax records and they seemed to be in order. It was just that there seemed to be some anomalies that had been brought to his attention and these needed clarifying. Oh ho, I thought, someone has been spreading stories and trying to make trouble. Ruth and I had had a similar experience when we'd first left 45 Woodside, just off London Road in Boston. 45 was a typical modern semi on a new estate. It had cost us a little over £3,000 new, and we'd been there for four years or so. We'd moved from there to Ivy House, Main Road, New Bolingbroke, in 1970. Ivy House is a rather nice Georgian country gentleman's house, and it cost us £6,000 to buy. I thought it was 5000 but Ruth is adamant it was 6000 Nevertheless, it was a beautiful house and a far cry from number 45 Woodside. Just after we moved, I had an extra demand from the local tax office for clarification of earnings for that period. You can read all about buying Ivy House in It's a Rum Life Book 3, a fascinating story. Back to our income tax inquisition at Boston a few years later and it looked very much as if someone had it in for us again and had been trying to stir up trouble. The things the taxman knew about our lifestyle were amazing. Just about the only thing they had not done was follow me around from day to day. They knew all about Ivy House of course which was simply lovely and very expensive to maintain. They knew all about our recent trip to to France, but not the small details. If I remember correctly, his very words at this stage were something like, how on earth can you afford to go swanning around France on a continental holiday? 
<laughs> this was still during the time when there were strict currency controls and you could not take unlimited amounts of pounds out of the UK. They knew we had a Jaguar car as a family transport, but not its age or how much I'd paid for it. They basically thought we were living beyond our level of income and wanted to know where the extra money was coming from. I did ask the inspector that of course he had taken my wife's not un in unsubstantial earnings into account. As a senior nursing sister, she was earning far more than me and always had done. In fact, at about this time, she was a sister in charge of the small Grey Swan Memorial Hospital at Spilsby. They'd forgotten all about this, as Ruth paid her income tax direct through her employer, the National Health Service. I went on to explain that I did all my own maintenance with the house and all the vehicles, with the help of brother-in-law Michael. The family car that had travelled to France was in fact a 17-year-old Jaguar that had cost me £250 to buy. I followed this up by explaining that we had only stayed in one mid-range hotel for one night the whole of that holiday and the remainder of the holiday was staying with friends who provided full bed and board. I continued to explain that he would be aware that neither Ruth nor I smoked or drank huge amounts of booze. We were very careful with our daily expenses, frugal in fact. He eventually ran out of questions and had been unable to get me to vary my story in any way. I suppose the whole incident took about three quarters of an hour, during which time my accountant said not a word. When the meeting was over, I did tell my accountant that I would not continue to need his services. They were very expensive, and they seemed to be rather ineffective when push came to shove. That's an English phrase that relates to one facing a difficult situation. In conclusion, I felt confident the Inspector of Taxes had good, acceptable answers to all his questions, and could find no reason to take the matter further. Indeed, I did not hear anything more from that government office. But you, but you can read or listen to other unpleasant incidents where various folk have seen fit to have a go at us in other ways over the years. The worst and longest lasting is covered in the story Litigation. It all began in 1982, during the time I was a parish councillor at New Bolingbroke in Carrington and that one continued for over 20 years. The final one was when Barclays Bank tried to grab the Northcote property and close the animal sanctuary back in 2012. You can follow this later incident in two stories, A Lesson in Faith in the 21st Century, and following that, Travel Nightmare, I'm a Terrorist. There we are. Uh, that's the end of that little story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Now, different ending to our stories. Uh, there are no shops. We don't have a shop anymore where you can buy things. All our stories, uh, that's the nearly 200 audio stories, uh, nearly over 100 videos. And there are, I think, eight complete books to download, if you wish, um, all free of charge. You can access them all through our new website. 
which is www.itsarumlife.com. The spelling is I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com. No spaces. There's hours of entertainment in all those different things you can look at. There we are. Uh, Thank you for listening.